Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. There's such a beautiful spirit in here right now. I really, I just, I sense the Lord in this house right now. And I just know that there's something beautiful that he is going to do here as we just break open his word. Why don't you turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. I'm just going to jump into this. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. And it's good to be with you guys this morning. I came in this week with just... It's just an interesting week, a lot of ups and downs, a lot of internal wrestling over things I don't even know. (laughs) But all I can tell you is just the moment I walked in here, (laughs) there's just such a sweet presence of God in here that literally just began to just shatter those things. So I just say that because I I love gathering with each and every one of you. I want to, let me me take a step back. I have, uh, when when the Lord begins to prepare my heart, it's, it's, um, I usually start a week with an understanding of where God probably wants to take us, and then it's later on in the week towards the very end where uh, I just begin to flesh that out, and I begin to just actually put into words what I feel like God has just been stirring in my heart. And so I went into the, to the end of this week with an idea of where I thought God was leading us, and then I just kept swaying back and forth, and uh, it was kind of aggravating to be honest. But I went in Friday night convinced that we would just hit another part of the power of words, And then Saturday morning, I woke up, and I just felt God so redirect my heart and really download something completely different. And so I'm not one who likes to just step out like that, but sometimes you just got to do that, and there's just such life in that. So so I want to speak with you what's entitled Breaking Camp, Breaking Camp from Rut to Revival. And I feel, I feel as, as excited as I was to, uh, to share on words, my heart is really stirred by this. There's a portion of scripture that we're going to read in Deuteronomy that God stirred my heart a few weeks ago. I just felt the Lord's presence on it when I was reading it. And I kind of just tucked it away and put it aside. But Saturday morning, I just felt him really put it upon my heart that we need to dive into this. And I feel strongly that as I began to just take some time with the Lord yesterday and just sit with him, that I felt like God was really stirring in my heart that this is a word that ties directly into the season we're in, going into next week with Deeper. I'm not trying to overhype this gathering that we're having, but I just believe in my heart that there's something profound that's going to take place in this body as we gather together and hunger for the Lord together. As we sit and position ourselves to just glean from those who have, in many cases, have touched things and tasted things that we have often hit walls with, there's a grace that's going to be released in this house. There's a grace that's going to be released in our lives, and I don't want to miss this opportunity. And I felt a stirring in my heart for us to to hunger for what God wants to do. Hunger for what he wants to do. I feel deeply, look, what, what God wants to share today, look, there, there's not a lot to it. It's just one point, really. It's just, it's just a singular point that I want to share and just release it and then have our hearts just touched and, 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 and prepared for, for what we're going into. I, my hope, like I've been saying, is that every person would gather next week, not so that we can say, wow, we've pulled something off. Wow, we've got a lot of people here. This is awesome because I just really believe in my heart that this is going to be something that will shift us. And as much as I really want to say, if no one else goes, I don't care because I'm going to receive. 
as the shepherd of the house, there's this pastoral just burden in my heart that everyone's going to be there and that everyone's going to go through this together and that there's something that's going to really shape us and shift us and, and it's going to change the impact and influence we're having in this community. I mean that, that there's a, there's a preparation that I feel like God wants to do right here as we just open this word today. It's something to stir our hearts for the week so that when we go into next week's gathering, there's an expectation and there's just a heart preparation for, for what he's going to do. We, you know, we talk a lot about revival, right? And look, I'm just going to be sharing different things that God was just speaking to me yesterday. But, but one of the things is we speak a lot about revival in general in the church and especially in here. And I just feel like God's like, do you really want to see the, the, God's kingdom here? <laughs> do, do, we, like, do we really want to see um, this be a beacon of hope and light? And I just, if I'm honest, when I, when I withdraw to the prayer chamber, I just feel in my heart that God has, has given a special grace for us to really be something on this island, to pioneer what a hungry body looks like. I just feel maybe it's because it would be the least likely place to happen, but there's just something here that, man, if we would just seize the moment and realize what he's doing here, if we just grab a hold of it and run with it and really prioritize our lives to make him everything, there's something God wants to do. And when we talk about revival, I, look, you can't schedule it. You can't plan it. You can't add enough worship services and tack on enough speakers to make it happen. You can't manipulate it, which is why I feel deeply that although there's going to be something beautiful next week, what has to happen is our hearts have to be, first it has to be initiated in our hearts. And there has to be something that begins to take place right now that as we go in, we don't just expect something to happen because we're there, but it's our hearts have been primed to say, Lord, I just lay everything down. Like, I'm, I'm surrendered. Like, I feel in my heart that... God wants to just break us out of certain ruts and routines that we can fall into and take hold of that which he has purchased for us on the cross. Like there's heaven's realities that have been made available because of the precious blood of Jesus. And we have a responsibility to contend for those things and show the world really what it looks like to be a church. Really look what it looks like to be the called out ones, set on fire for him. And so what I hope to do today is real simple. It's just, I just, for a few minutes, just want to provoke hunger. Hunger is so important. Hunger is a gift from God. I think two mistakes that we make a lot of times is, number one, we think that once we have found Christ, meaning really he has found us and now we have found him, that we no longer need to pursue him and seek him. And my friends, when you look in the scriptures and you see the men and women that God used, although they were full with the Lord, they had this hunger about them. If you look in the scriptures, it's littered with language of men and women who were just possessed with knowing him more. And I think one of the dangers that is that when we come into relationship with Christ, we just begin to settle and say, well, I have all that I need now, which is true. But there are things of which God is saying it's just the beginning Salvation is not an ending point. It's the beginning of an invitation into a never-ending pursuit of the riches of God. It never ends. And if we find ourselves in a place of stagnancy and just feeling dead, something is off. And so I want to stir hunger to know there's always more no matter where you find yourself. Like the last place that should be called dead is the church. The living God. And yet so many come in and say, man, we just go through the same old routines. 
And this should be a place that is alive. But look, we can say, well, the church is dead. But who makes up the church? <laughs> it's us. And we have to take responsibility and say, man, Lord, am I really just consecrated to you, Lord? Have I been called apart for you, God? Am I really prioritizing you? Remember that you love me deeply as we go into this, because I do feel like there's a set of weight on this. So remember this smile. <laughs> remember I love you. Remember all the times we've had fellowship. <laughs> but I, look, I just feel like God has, God has pricked my heart this week. I felt the, the sword of, of Jesus' words just open me up and really just convict me deeply and say, you've just been settling here, Andrew, and it's time. It's time to move forward. And I think the other mistake that we make is that we think that hungering and seeking and pursuing is reserved for the teachers. It's reserved for the leaders. But my friends, all of us have been called to this. Madame Goyon once said, as much as we've all been called to salvation, we've also been called to the depths of Jesus Christ. As much as he wants you born again, he also wants you to know the fullness of who he is. There's something available for all of us. Hunger, hunger I just want to share this before we go into this. Hunger is just so important. Hunger, how many know hunger can make you do some crazy things? Right? Like, <laughs> you could be driving down the road. And when hunger comes in, it's like, I don't care what we're going to do or where we're going, but all I know is we need to pull off, we need to eat right now. <laughs> and, uh, and that's how it is for me. Now, oh, by the way, Pastor Crystal's pregnant, if you, have, if you didn't know that. <laughs> we'll have, we'll have a, a reveal party in October. It's going to be good. Um, but yeah, but speaking of hunger, I'm glad that Pastor Crystal finally knows what it feels like to be me, where there's just cravings that I can't control, and I just say, look, everything has to shut down. I need food right now. But in reality, there's some, do you know that everything God sets up for us is for a reason? Do you know the reason we even hunger for food and thirst is so that we can understand how he wants us to relate to him? Because when Jesus comes as the bread of life and says, I want you to hunger for me, if we've never hungered for natural food, we'd say, what in the world does that mean? <laughs> Everything he's done is to point us to him. Hunger makes people, and, and just to go to the extreme case, we've seen people steal just to put something in their stomach. We've seen people kill each other just so that they can fill their stomachs. And my point is, is that hunger has a unique capability to lead us past our conveniences. It has a unique capability to lead us past our comforts and past our securities, past our safe places. And we need the gift of hunger in order to pursue what God has for us. Do you, do you know that hunger is, a, is an important indication of health? Did you know that? Right? If you're, if you're especially a parent in this room, you can probably relate to the fact that when you've been with your child... You can observe them throughout the day, and you begin to start to notice that there's some things off about them. I know many times I've come home, and I've spoken with Pastor Crystal, and she shared, there's something off with Gabriel. There's something off with Caden. Why? He's not eating. He's no longer hungering. There's something deeply internal wrong because he lost his appetite. And my friends, when we lose an appetite for Christ, there's something deeply internally wrong. Something is off. Perhaps it's because we've begun to engage in a lifestyle that's counter to what he has said. Perhaps it's because there's a fear of just stepping out, whatever it is, but we've settled in a place, we've lost hunger. Something is off. But the good news is, is that God is so committed to fanning the flame in our hearts. He's the aggressor. He's the pursuer. 
And he's continually coming to us, calling us back to a place of just consuming him. So I want to read this scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. This is really the main scripture and the only scripture we're going to read. And I'll share a point, and then we're just going to pray. This is what it says. Here's the backdrop. The Israelites are, it's been 40 years of wandering, 40 years of camping out throughout the wilderness. They've been one year out Mount Sinai, also known as Mount Horeb. And they're east of, of the Jordan River. They're in the plains of Moab, and they're getting ready, getting ready. Lord is preparing them to take what God has promised them. And I want you to just hear what the Lord said. Something just jumped off the text and grabbed my heart. And it says this, east of the Jordan in the territory of Moab, Moses began to expound this law, saying, The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. Go to all the neighboring peoples in the Arabah, in the mountains, in the western foothills, in the Negev and along the coast, to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon as far as the great river, the Euphrates. So here's the Israelites. They've had this tendency to just settle and camp out in the wilderness, and there's a voice that comes from the Father. And he says, you have been here long enough. You have stayed here long enough. He says, it's time to go and step into what I have promised you. If you look at it, it's amazing the, the, the um, breath of what God is, is promising to them, the land. He's intentional to mark out the extensiveness of this promise he marks out all these barriers and if you could just step back for a moment it's a land that God has promised before that is just flowing with an abundance of fruit the vineyards and there's life here and it's for them and God said that I will drive out the enemies when you go there and if you could just step back and see this picture of Israelites just content to stay in the wilderness just camped out here and God is saying don't you know what I have for you you have stayed here long enough. It's time to move forward. And in verse 8, he says, See, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to their descendants after them. He says, This is a possession, which means it's inheritance. He says, This is yours. My friends, we wouldn't have enough time to break open the inheritance that we have been given because of what Christ has laid down his life for. Like, I don't know how this looks in your life. I know corporately there's something that's stirred in, in breaking forth. But individually, we have to ask, like, are we walking in what Christ has made available? Are we walking in the new life he's made available? Are we walking in the victorious life, the holy life, the pure life, the righteous life? Are we walking in the life of purity and power? Like, are we really stepping into and declaring to the world what Jesus has made available for each and every one of us? And the issue with Israel, the issue with Israel is that they were content with camping in the wilderness. They were content to settle in this place when God had so much more for them. And I would imagine that if you step back and see it in its full picture and context that Comparatively speaking, camping in the wilderness was probably far better than bondage in Egypt. Listen, they may have complained and grumbled, but the reality is, is that God took care of all of their needs in the wilderness. He provided everything they needed. 
And I want to just share that there is a major distinction from wandering in the wilderness and being free in the promised land. And sometimes we confuse the two and we're stuck going around these same things and we're stuck just entrenched going through around the circular grave when God has declared something so much more for the church. And Israel was giving up hope of ever entering what God had. It had been so long. And they just began to say, this is where we are. And a voice of grace came to them and said, you've been here long enough. You've camped out here long enough. It's time to take what I have promised for you. No longer being satisfied with going in circles. No longer being satisfied with status quo. Listen, let me share this. I want to pose a question as to what, what do you think is the greatest enemy that a Christian faces? And, you know, in seminary and whatnot, in these discussion groups that we have and just looking over social media, there's a lot of different responses of what you see the church coming against as if, if we can just take a hold of this, the church would be able to walk in all that God has promised for them. And so I know one of the things that we talk a lot about, not in, necessarily in here, but it's called uh, liberalism, Christian liberalism. It's this, it's this idea of, of, of trying to harmonize biblical teachings with all of these secular fields, and the result is that we, have to, we actually start to deny central truths of the scriptures, and many will say there's a real issue that this is the, the greatest enemy that the church faces, that we start to question if the first five books of the Bible are actually real, or maybe they're just myths. Maybe Jesus really never walked on water. Maybe he really never resurrected. Maybe it's just kind of a picture. It's a really allegorical. And I understand the threat of that and the seriousness of that, but the reality is that all of us sitting in this room, we're really not being uh, threatened with that at all. Like in this house, that's not what's taking place at all. And I'm going to go out and probably say that in the circles you're in, if we're really honest, that's not really a threat to us. Many times we would say the greatest threat to the Christian life right now is the government. Right? We see so much that gets put up against us. Now, I'll be the first to tell you that there are things in the last few years that have been pushed and moved forward that are in stark contrast to the Holy Scriptures. And as a body, we should be grieved by that and be a voice of righteousness and justice, fighting for what is right, not hating the sin sinner, but hating the sin. I understand that. But if we're really honest, like, I want you to just see this. If we're really honest, have any of us ever had to memorize portions of the Bible because we felt like our lives were at risk if someone caught us walking down the street reading the Scriptures? But we've never had a threat like that. Have any of us ever felt threatened that if we gathered here, that, that somehow someone may come and not only break this up, but throw us in jail? Have, have we ever had to meet and gather together in some secret place and come at different times because there was such a fear of the local government coming against us? My point is, is that man, we are in this country have such a profound ability to be able to worship together. No one disturbs us. We're able to proclaim Jesus. We can walk down this street and proclaim Jesus and pray for people. And not only will it not come against us, many are thankful that we're doing it. We can go on one after another of pointing these things of what we say is the greatest threat. But my point is this, that oftentimes the greatest threat to the church, especially in America, is not this outward threat. It's an inward threat. It's an inward situation. It's this, it's this tendency and propensity and inclination of the heart of the body of Christ to settle when God has so much more for them. 
And we can sit back all day and say, this is the reason, this is the reason, this is the reason. But in reality, we are free to run after Christ here. And really, there's something deeply wrong internally that God wants us to address and take hold of. And what happens throughout church history and biblical history is that as the church begins to settle and camp out in places when there's more, is God begins to raise up individuals to stir them. He begins to raise up people to disturb where they're at. Look, it's good to have people disturb us. It's good to be shaken out of these places where we've just come cemented and we just say, man, I guess this is all there is. And God will bring people in our path that have touched and seen things in order to, to uh, show us that there is more. And I share that because part of next week, I just feel so deeply that as we have these certain individuals coming in, there's an aspect where there is, there are, these are people that can disturb our walks. And I mean that in a holy way. There's people that can come in. I'm telling you, it's not hype. It's the real thing of sitting with, with individuals that have just laid down their life for Jesus. And, man, there's a grace in that that just so stirs your heart. And I feel like God just wants to disturb us in a holy way to keep pursuing what he has for us. And next week is going to be a major breakthrough for that. Because, listen, as a church, if, if we're not careful... And we allow ourselves just to settle in these places and our lives to settle in these places. What happens is we just fall under the dictatorship of routine. Routine becomes Lord. And what was determines what is. And what is will determine what will be. Rather than being led by the Lord, we just start to circle around the same things. And really, we leave no room for God. We have our plans mapped out and we just say, God, bless this. And we wonder why there's no fire in hearts. We wonder why people aren't stirred because we've given no room for the Holy Spirit to move. I'm telling you, there is, there is a scary thing that takes place when as a body, as a church, we fall into this place of just circling and being content there. And we fall under the lordship of routine. And what happens is, is we begin to be able to predict what next Sunday will look like. And not only can we predict what next Sunday will look like, we'll be able to begin to predict what the few Sundays will look like. Not only that, we can begin to start to predict what the next months will look like. And if we're not careful, we'll begin to start to predict what the upcoming years will look like. And all of a sudden, a church that's meant to be alive and filled with awe and wonder and just, uh, just, uh, um, just taken back by God, what will you do today? Expectation, all of a sudden, we have everything just mapped out for us. And we've lost that. And can I just share something? And, and I don't say this uh, as we're outside of this, but just as we're entering in as a newborn church here, I feel like the landscape of, of Long Island, like this is a serious issue that I feel like God was just birthing in me. That we, we've just settled in this place where we just go through church. We just go through the motions. And people come in and they recognize, man, something is wrong here. There's just an aspect of form without power. It's the temple without the cloud. It's speech without breath. There's no life. And so we just gather and go through the motions again and again and again, and nothing is changing. To be honest, to not sound crude or disrespectful, but the only place where members, where we should expect members to have this type of predictability, this type of routine, is in a cemetery. The church should be alive. We, we should be alive when we gather. Look, 
there's something deeply wrong. I just feel it that, and again, when I come away with the Lord, I would lie if I, if I didn't say this, and it's not from just us being elevated by any means, but we have to, I'm just sharing from the, from the head of this place that I feel like God is saying that we've, he's positioned us to be a, really a pioneer, to break through this rut of just circling around the same things and calling it church. And winning people to what? To enter into the same dead routine over and over? Like, I just feel that there's a voice that's saying it's time to awaken. The church needs to rise up. Awaken to righteousness. Wake up, sleepers. And I say that for just, there's the body as whole that I feel like what God is speaking to us. When I, when I look at the Christian faith and I read in the scriptures, this couldn't be more opposite to what it really looks like. The Christian faith is one that's faith to faith. It's glory to glory. It's transformation. The Christian faith is one where there is a continual, never-ending, inward conforming to the, Christ, to the character of Christ. The kingdom of God is continually advancing. Isaiah 9-7 says that when Jesus would establish his kingdom, the increase of his government and peace would know no end. It would continue to increase. And I just, I feel that if we're not careful that there's places where we can just fall into the trap where we just do the same thing over and over and over and over again. And I want to seize this moment. And I want to step forth and say, God, we are hungry for the more, God. We don't want to settle there. I read this quote by A.W. Tozer in The Pursuit of God that I love. And he said this. He said, we have been offered the face of God and the glory of Christ. We have been offered holiness and righteousness and indwelling by the Spirit. We can have our prayers answered and have hell fear us because we have a hold on God who invites us to draw on his omnipotence, his power. He says, we have been offered all of this, and yet we often sit without ambition. And we sit and wait when there's so much that God has made available to us. I think one of the dangers that we can make is that we mistake movement for progress. Listen, just because we're moving doesn't necessarily mean we're moving to what God has. We can also just be circling the same old things in our life. In fact, just because you move in a straight line doesn't even mean that you're going forward. And I think what can happen, and I've seen it in my life, is that we can camp out and settle in places when God's saying, look, this is available and we camp out there, and what happens is we get into this rut where we begin to be able to speak about what is ours, but it's not manifesting in our life. And we get deceived in the thinking because we know it, and it's here that it's actually active in our life. I heard it illustrated once like this. Imagine that you inherited 10,000 acres. I know that would be really awesome. And imagine I was with you, and imagine that you came up to a mountaintop, and you took me with you, and you said, Andrew, I want you to see all this. I want you to see, like, the rivers down there, those are mine. The mountains back there, that's mine. The rolling hills and, and the, the beautiful, beautiful acres, that's all mine. But what if we said, well, have you been there? Have you seen the rivers? Have you seen the mountains? Have you walked the rolling hills? We said, no, well, I've never been there. What good is our inheritance if it's not being demonstrated in our life? And Man, we could talk all day long, and I'm saying this to myself. The Lord said, Andrew, you could talk all day long of what it looks like, but it's time. It's time to live it out. It's time to walk in this. I have something for this body, but what I feel like is that there's not a stewardship 
just because God has said these things, it, it would be foolish for us to say that we can stay in one place and God's just going to do it. Like there's a partnership that takes place with the Lord. We have to steward the things that he's speaking if we're going to see that type of breakthrough. Listen, I, I wanna, have, have you guys ever heard of the word rote, R-O-T-E, rote? I know musicians use it a lot. Here's the definition. It's a use of memory, usually with little intelligence, mechanical or unthinking routine or repetition without feeling. When you learn by rote, you just begin to fall into this place where you can do things by repetition, but your, your heart's not really into it. It's the essence of busy work, where you can actually do something, yet your mind is focused on something totally else. And I just, I just say that because I feel like this is an early stage of what takes place in this, where we fall into the rote. We fall into a place of where we come and we begin to circle around the same old things and we begin to just do things from repetition, but there's no heart involved anymore. It's the essence of, of praising God with our lips, but our heart is far from him. We've lost awe. Man, if you're in this room, I just want to encourage you that God is stirring something for a reason. He has a desire to have us be just this burning light in this place. And I want to encourage you that if you've fallen into this place where you feel like, man, your heart is just cold to the things of God. Like there was a time you once had passion, but now you're just stuck in a rut. You feel like you're just going through the motions that there's a grace that God wants to give today to release a new hunger in your life. But will we respond to him? Will we allow him to examine our hearts and say, Lord, I'm tired of just going through the motions. God, I want all that you have for me. I want to walk in the more that you've purchased for me. The beauty is that Jesus in the book of Revelation, he's pictured as a high priest. It says, walks among the seven golden lampstands. It was the churches, and as a priest was called to keep the light burning in the Old Testament of the menorah, Christ keeps the, the light burning in the churches. He's faithful to walk amongst us. He's faithful to keep your fire burning. And he's here today for hearts that have just grown complacent, stuck in the status quo. He's here to breathe on it if we really say this matters. The reality is, is that we can walk out and say, ah, it's just too much for me. But I know one thing, that this is what God's called us as a body to live and walk in this way. And my heart is that every single person would walk in because this is what you've been created for. Don't believe this is reserved for certain individuals. Every person was created to have a heart that is fixed on Jesus, in love with Jesus. He's ultimate in our lives. And if we don't, if we don't catch ourselves when we begin to just get into this rote, ultimately we fall into a rut. And the rut is actually when we're in bondage to that repetition without feelings. In fact, what happens is we, we, we get there and we've been there so long that the dangerous part of this is that we often don't even recognize we're in it. That's the dangerous part of this is we actually don't even know that we're here. That's why we need the grace of God to speak in us and say, awaken to righteousness and sin no more. It's like that alarm clock that goes off. You just awaken. You say, oh, my goodness, what have I been doing? Where have I been living? Why have I been doing this? Many of us know it prior to Christ. There was that voice that came and just awakened us to right standing with God. And it's like the scales came off. And we said, what the heck have I been doing for these last 15 years of my life? And sometimes we fall back into that drifting and we need the spirit of God to awaken us again, Lord. Awaken our hearts. When we fall into these ruts, they can be deeply, deeply dangerous because it's infectious. <laughs> what happens is, is when people come and speak with zeal or passion, we have a tendency to get critical. 
We have a tendency to say that that's just unobtainable. That's just, that's a fantasy world. We all know that no one can actually live like this. They're just full of emotion. And we try to bring other people to see from our perspective that has a lack of zeal and fire. Rather than letting those people stir us and disturb us in a way that says, get on my knees and say, God, I believe you can do this. Crystal had a vision this week that ties so deeply. It was a pot with dry soil, and the, and the flower was drooping significantly. It was dry. And what was amazing was that when, when there was watering, I don't know if it was her, but someone was watering it, the flower sprouted right back up. And what hit her was that it didn't take multiple times. It was just one time the water being applied and the flower began to bloom again. Some of you feel like you're so far off. I don't know how I'll get out of this. Know this. It takes one time. We can save years of travailing if we would actually get on our knees before God and say, God, I am recognizing I'm sick. I'm recognizing, God, that you've promised more. And why am I content to live right here? And if we would just get honest and specific over the things in our life, we will watch God just begin to break through. Set a fire back in our soul. Things that you couldn't care less about yesterday, you will have passion for the next day. I've seen it. I've seen it in my life where I could care less. There's times I don't even want to be here. <laughs> Honestly, you get before the Lord one time and say, God, what in the world is going on? I've got to shut everything down. God, I don't care if I eat another thing of food. You're the bread of life. I need you. And you begin to touch him again, and all of a sudden fire comes back in the heart again. And all of a sudden there's something that, that just begins to stir. The problem is, is that what happens is we begin to shift our disciplines and we encounter this breakthrough. Then we retreat back to our old lifestyle. And what we say is, those breakthroughs are just meant to be seasons. No, no, those breakthroughs are actually meant to be new normals in our life. But what happens is, is the disciplines that it took to break through have to be maintained. That's the cost of walking with the Lord. So when you walk through seasons where you say, man, I feel like i got to seek the Lord, pray. And all of a sudden there's just a change in schedule. And I understand sometimes can be very unique, but all of a sudden you say, man, every morning before I see a man's face, I'm seeing the Lord's face. At the end of that week, you say, my heart is on fire for God. Next week, things get busy, you stop doing it. You say, oh, I guess that was just for a week. No, if we maintain that, there's actually from glory to glory, from faith to faith, that God wants to release in us. Are you following me? And what happens is we don't deal with the rut that we're in. We begin to just fall into this place where there's just non-expectation. We never think God will move again. We've just been bound by this, and there's, we can't visualize anything better. And so I'll just, I'll just leave you with this. Is, uh, how do we get out of this, right? I've kind of just shared it, really. It's just simple. It's, uh, it's just getting before the Lord and honestly being transparent with him and believing that there's no one else that can change this except for God himself. But let me just share this. Here's two things we can do the wrong way. Number one, when we start talking about this and we start talking about let's go for what God has, the first thing we want to do is just start getting busy. And that's not what I'm talking about. Because the kingdom of God is first a matter within. Before it's ever external, it's something internal. This is a matter of heart. This is a matter of soul and mind that needs to be touched. And before we run around and start doing all these things, what we really need to have happen is have something deeply changed on the inside. And that's why we have to position ourselves before none other than God who's able to do it. The other thing we do is we just say, time, time will change this. I'll just keep circling, and I know that over time, somehow I'm going to get out of this. That's a trap. That's a trap. Actually, the only thing that happens that I've seen in my life is I just get more and more cold and put off to the things of God. 
Jesus, Jesus, let me say this. Paul first said to Timothy, he said, stir, fan the flame, the gift of God that's been put in you by the laying on of hands. He said, you need to fan that thing. You need to steward that thing. Timothy, you can't just lay to the side. You've got to do something about it. You've got to seek the Lord. Jesus said to the church of Ephesus that forsake their first love, he says, repent and do the works you did at first. He wasn't talking about just any works. He's talking about works that fueled loving relationship with him. You say, how can that be? Love and works, isn't that opposite? Jesus wasn't talking about dead religion. He was talking about passion. He was talking about a heart that is in love with Christ. When a person loves someone else, they seek after them. Seeking is instinctive to love. And sometimes you have to start by doing it from duty. I'll tell you right now, sometimes right now, if you're in that place, you have to just take a step of faith by duty. It feels like you don't want to, but guess what? That's why it's one called a discipline. And two, when you start to encounter the beauty of Christ, that duty is swallowed up by delight. And before you know it, that's the only thing you want to do. Before you know it, you can't wait till your alarm clock goes off to be with him. I am preaching to myself right now. <laughs> For real. I'm preaching to myself. Because this week, I'm telling you, I'm sharing this because this week, I'm going into it. I'm fasting. I'm just telling you right now. That's not, but I'm calling whoever wants to go, like, let's go for this. Like, let's hunger for God. Let's ask God to do something next week that would change this body. Are you following me? Listen, don't, some of you, I just sense I feel discouraged. Like, okay, I feel I'm actually identifying with this, but I want to get out. I just don't really believe it can happen. <laughs> And I get that. But just, again, be encouraged that God, God is the aggressor. God is the pursuer. In other words, if God gives you a desire, if you even feel the slightest desire, something that says, man, I wish I could walk in the, with the Lord like this, that is because God is all over you right now. And if God gives you a desire, he has every intention of fulfilling it. When Jesus says, come to me, all you who are thirsty, he did not give that invitation to mock people and say, let's see who actually comes so I can deny them. When he says, come, if you drink, you shall be satisfied. He has, he has every intention to satisfy you. He has every intention to fulfill this. What mother, what mother would disturb her children who are outside playing and begin to put a desire in their heart to say, dinner time is ready, would bring them inside have them wash their hands, get ready, sit them at the table with food in front of them, and then say, no, no, actually, I'm not going to give you any. There's an invitation to the table, and it's without cost because Jesus paid the price. And he says, come feast on that which will actually satisfy your heart. And if you feel that desire, it's because he wants to do it. He's not mocking you. He's not a cruel God. He's a good father, and he wants us to experience it. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. Come on, I believe there's really a grace to restore hunger. You're not being overlooked by God. He's not punishing you. Is an invitation to the table, and it's for every single person. Do you know that in the natural, do you know how you get hungry in the natural? You don't eat. No trick question there. <laughs> Sometimes I get even hungrier when I eat, but that's a different story. 
But when you don't eat, you get hungry in the natural, in the supernatural. You know how you get hungry in the spiritual? You eat. This is how you get hungry in the spiritual realm. You feast, and it actually makes you hungrier. And some of us need to eat. Some of us need to come to the table and begin to bring out testimonies before them to encourage yourself. Some of us need to sit with the Lord and just worship him. Some of us just need to pray. Some of us need to get back in the word and just let this fire begin to be fanned again in our hearts. Charles Finney, Charles Finney, man, just incredible man of God. He said, when I go into these ruts, he says, I shut everything down. Like this, this is just, if you want to know my heart, like this is where I want to go. This is the type of people I want to run with. And I, I believe God's called you because this is what he wants to do. This type of people that have so prioritized God that when things just feel like, man, something's not right, that I say, man, I'll shut everything down. I need Jesus right now. Like, I don't care what I got to do, but I need him. If I got to just lock myself away, whatever it takes, I want him. And man, God is such a rewarder of those who diligently seek him and hunger for him. Come to the table. I believe God is looking to release favor and influence to the hungry. And it's time. It's time to pursue. My prayer is you'd have a grace today, a grace to hunger for the more. You were born to invade the impossible. Do you know that? You weren't just born to circle in the wilderness. Don't believe the lie. Some of us, listen to me, some of us have allowed ourselves to circle in places we shouldn't be, and we've done it under the pretense of false humility. All we've done is look at ourselves and just say, no, I'm not that smart. God can never use me this way. And it sounds really good, but actually it's pride and arrogance just in the reverse because it's still centered on self. You need to take your eyes off yourself and see Christ who laid down his life for you. Everyone in here has been called to a victorious life, a life of purpose, a life of meaning. The invitation is for everyone. I'm going to ask you to stand with me.